Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways in how brands interact with properties within sports, arts, film, music, you name it. Today's a really exciting episode because we have Brett Sadler here. She's a graduate of the University of Miami and entered professional sports early in her career um, at the time with the expansion team, Florida Panthers. Spent several years there, went to Octagon and then UFC activating some of their partnerships and is now leading global partnerships for MGM Resorts International. Brett has also created uh, a new chapter at WISE in Las Vegas. So we're really excited to have her here today and, and Brett, welcome to the show. Great, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Great. So why don't, why don't we start with where you grew up? Like what was, uh, what was your life like at the early stages of your career and, and you sure. know, what part of America did you grow up in? Sure. Uh, I was born in upstate New York, uh, but when I was six, we moved to Tampa, Florida. So I, I grew up in Florida. Uh, I was an athlete um, doing everything from soccer to gymnastics, tennis, cheerleading, um, Graduated from uh, high school in Tampa, Florida, King High School, and then went to University of Miami um, because of the sports there are so competitive. It wasn't an option for me to to go there on a sports scholarship or otherwise. Um, so I I went knowing that they had a kick-ass you know team and and I would love just cheering them on from the sideline. So um, when I got there, the freshman week and everyone's doing their thing and, and the, the rowing team is set up with their eight foot table for freshman orientation and asking for anyone that wants to row to come out. And so I ended up uh, joining the rowing team. Um, so I was part of the crew, uh, which is a really, really exciting time. I really um, met some of my lifelong friends there and um, it, it obviously got me into the sports space as an athlete. Um, even though it wasn't a scholarship sport at the time. So um, it really uh, opened my eyes to athletics um, at the college level and especially D1. And as you can imagine, University of Miami is like a professional sport in that market um, and, and everywhere really. So <clears throat> I um, continued uh, on my journey with sports marketing and um, interned, if you will, in the sports marketing department. So I worked on all the sponsors and all of our activation on Saturdays with football and managing several of our team uh, team partners. So again, met a great gr group of people there. Um, I finished in three years and it wasn't necessarily just because I wanted to, you know, I was, you know, uber smart and, you know, wanted to be done. I, I really just want, I felt like it was time for me to go out and like make a difference already. Like I felt like I had so much hands-on experience at the college level in a fast paced environment that I was like ready to like hit the ground running. So I went through summer school, I went through intercessions. I just, I just got all my credits done as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I graduated in 1992, which was the inception of the Marlins. And um, as you can imagine, there was a huge influx of people leaving uh, a lot of the other teams and going to the Marlins to restart that team or to start that team. And then soon after, uh, Wayne Huizinga had purchased the Florida Panthers uh, franchise, and we were supposed to start originally in 1994 um, or 95, but the, we came into the season with the Mighty Ducks, and they wanted to release um, their movie with their team, so they pushed everyone 
Wayne and the team to open the team sooner and to launch the team sooner. So there was a, a mad rush to staff up a Florida Panthers hockey team very quickly in a Sunbelt market where, where, where hockey was not a thing, as you can imagine. So with my connections from the University of Miami, a lot of people left there, went to the Marlins. I continued to work hand in hand with some of the Marlins people just on, you know, game day staff, or if they had a parade or, you know, any community grassroots events. So kept those contacts really close at heart. And then um, went into the Florida Panthers as a season ticket salesperson on a commission only basis, like many of us did. And we literally were with the phone book every day, like trying to sell season tickets. That's what we were doing. Um, in between that time, actually, I worked for a company called Advanced Promotional Concepts. I don't think they're in business anymore, but we were hired to work with all Southern Wine and Spirits and all the beverage um, partners to do bar promotions. Hmm. So I lived on South Beach for a year and and enjoyed a, a very flexible schedule because my my boss was in Tampa and I was in South Beach and it was very much um, managing my own space, hiring brand ambassadors and models and meeting with key account managers, visiting bars and then decorating them, planning for the night, then going back through the night and then actually executing the promotion. So super grassroots. I was on my own. I was the market manager from, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like Melbourne to, to Key West. I did everything from Seagram's Gin, Captain Morgan, and the usual. So it was a little bit of a taste of being out on my own and doing something that I was managing all by myself. And then at the flip side, um, knowing that I really wanted to get back into that sports atmosphere. So having mm -hmm. the Florida Panthers opportunity just kind of came at the right time. Mm -hmm. It's such um, an interesting, I was going to say it's yeah, such an interesting please. time because like the Marlins and the Panthers starting up, like it must've been huge for um, that region of Florida at the time. It was. And Wayne Huizinga owned all three. So he owned the Marlins, the Dolphins and the Panthers. Huh, um, yeah. <clears throat> and I talked about this in another, to somebody else. It, it's interesting because the Wayne Huizinga kind of fiefdom was truly um, magical in the, in the fact that he lifted everybody up. And with the exception of the heat, that just was kind of separate. You know, it was the Panthers and Marlins and Dolphins. We did one of the first ever tri-team deals. We, we really collaborated amongst ourselves. And, and it was almost like this extended, extended family. So really mm -hmm. a, a really cool time. Um, although it was interesting because the Florida Panthers were the redheaded stepchild because we were hockey. I mean, the Dolphins are always going to be big me on campus, baseball with the community down there is always a win. Um, the Heat, you know, had their ups and downs and they were winning as well. And then the Florida Panthers kind of came into the market in this weird spot. So, and then the University of Miami always, you know, you know, everybody likes a winning team. So <laughs> at that time Fair they were enough. winning. So um, yeah. anyway, so fast forward, I actually, when I was at the uh, Florida Panthers, <clears throat> we had um, the end of our kind of season ticket holder time uh, to sell tickets was September because preseason was starting and, and single game sales were going to start. So I kind of gravitated toward the sports to the uh, partnership team there because of my history at the University of Miami. So all the same partners, Anheuser-Busch, Southeast Toyota, Coca-Cola, those same partners were the same partners at the Panthers. So I was already a familiar face. I was already somebody that they knew and they're like, oh, this is where you landed, that's great. So I already had this rapport developed with a lot of the partners and a lot of the, the brands that were investing in the team. 
So gravitated to the partnership team um, on the activation side. And then um, I would have to say, I mean, not to discount it, but 13 years of my life, you know, kind of building this team and seeing the ebbs and flows. Um, we talked a little bit about the year of the rat. It was a really memorable time. The um, So basically um, the Miami arena was, the, the locker room was retrofitted for our team um, to be in there because they only had a heat locker room and a visiting NBA locker room. So they kind of built out a separate NHL locker room for us. And um, as you can imagine in Miami, there's, you know, rats and rodents all over, um, unfortunately, <laughs> in, in, a, in an arena. Um, and a rat must have run, had run out in front of the team as they were taking the ice. And Scott Mellenby kind of one-timed it against uh, the wall. Uh, mm-hmm. Later, he scored two goals. So that was the first ever rat trick. And, yeah, and, uh, I, and I remember that because I, I, when I look back yeah. at that era of Panthers hockey, like fans started throwing rats, rubber mm-hmm. rats onto the ice after that. So like, you know, what was that whole experience like on your end? It was so, it was so amazing to see the fans because they're the ones who did that on their own. It wasn't like we put people in the stands and did it. Like they just started doing it and doing it. And then it was, it actually was the year of the rat mm-hmm. in the Chinese, you know, calendar. So it was interesting <laughs> that this, it was the Cinderella story. We were winning whoever thought, um, um, Wayne Huizinga and Marty Huizinga, his wife, loved the rats. Like I remember as being low man on the totem pole at the time, you know, working with the ice crew, getting the rats off the ice, packaging yeah. them up in garbage bags. And then Marty literally would come down at the end of the game and go through and pick out her favorite rats. So people started painting the rats with jerseys and like faces and, and it was so creative. You know, I still have rats to this day um, in my office, but it was a really, really cool time. And it's, so. it's funny because this was all before like the social media era. So I feel mm-hmm. like if, um, if something like that happened now and it, it blew up as much as it did with the Panthers, like it would have been everywhere. And I, th- I think right. it still was everywhere because I was hearing about it here in Canada and it was just such a, it's just a fun story um, in the world of hockey. So I loved it. Yeah. And especially because Detroit, they throw um, octopus on the, that's right on the um the ice and so we started getting fined afterwards there were some new rules and regulations that were in place and i think when the panthers made their last run through the playoffs there was a um a push a push to encourage people not to throw the rats because i think people wanted to get them back on the ice but they were doing it like okay well let's do it but you can throw it after the game or they started to put some some parameters around it which obviously isn't as fun so yeah. And and so I want to pause there for a second. So, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, Florida was likely not a hockey market. A lot of people probably would say it still isn't a hockey market, despite like all the success of the teams down there. You know, what kind of challenges did you face or the team face when you were creating a team from scratch like that? And, and you know, when you were working on the partnership side of the business? So I think for us anyway, we knew that we, we were unsure what our team was going to be, right? We didn't know we had, you know, the land of misfits who were just going to go right to the Stanley Cup finals. Like that, that wasn't what we planned because you, you can't plan for that. That, that usually doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Although it was nice to see the Golden Knights kind of experience that same thing that we just went through. But um, so what we did is we tried to make sure that our, our guest experience and our service and our partnership 
relationships were the ones that set us apart because we knew that that was actually ultimately going to drive our business and continue those people either coming back to experience it or investing more money into our, into our brand. So it was really about like, how do we, how are we just the best front office we can be? Mm-hmm. Because we don't know what we're getting. We don't know. We didn't even know the players. And mo- many of us couldn't pronounce their names. I mean, they were coming from all over the place. <laughs> you know, a lot of us were like, we've never seen hockey before. And sure, this sounds cool. And it's Wayne's thing. And everything he touches turns to gold. So we were, we all had bought into it. But it was just really interesting to, to see it come to life. And um, I do remember that, you know, like I said, a lot of the partners sponsored every team. So you had mm-hmm. the same Coke, Anheuser-Busch, Southeast Toyota, everybody sponsoring every team. So how did we set ourselves apart from the Dolphins front office, from the Marlins front office, and from the Heat's front office, and from University of Miami? Mm-hmm. So we really just did our best to step up our service, um, birthdays, anniversary, kids, getting them on the Zamboni, you know, rolling out the red carpet for whenever they came, you know, doing pregame receptions, postgame receptions, taking them on trips, um, summit meetings where we got everybody together. Um, And we had um, an amazing new building during my time there. So it was another kind of feather in our hat that at least we could say we weren't the Miami arena anymore, but everyone's invited to this, what we considered the most North arena and venue because everybody from Palm Beach and Boca, it was mm-hmm. much easier to get to the to the arena in Sunrise, Florida than it was to Miami Arena. And that's an hour, an hour and a half plus with traffic. So you're in a weekday game. It's it was much easier. Our location was much easier to get to by the interstate too. Yeah. So I mean like, you know, I was a big uh Pavel Bure fan growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh got to see him in Vancouver. And then I think at the time like around when, when you were there, he, he had moved to mm-hmm. Florida. And yeah. so like you were telling us about the story of the rat and, and you got to see the Burray brothers play together. Like, are there any stories that kind of stick out to you? Cause you were, you were at the Panthers for quite a while and you probably mm-hmm. seen, seen the team grow so much. Is there any, anything that comes to mind outside of that? Um, you know, it was interesting because when Rob Niedemeyer was our, the rookie draft pick, you know, we took him to meet partners and we were there. I was, I met him when he was whatever, 17, 18, he was like a kid. And so having him, um, seeing a a player develop like right in front of me was really, really interesting and seeing his path. So I thought that was, that was memorable. Uh, there were so many things, um, we, during my time there, you know, we were at the Miami arena, we built a new building, we hosted the draft, we hosted the all-star game, we hosted Streetball partners, which was a three on three, you know, street hockey tournaments. Um, we went to the Stanley cup finals. Um, it was, it was just such a great time and everybody worked so closely together. It was a very lean staff, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just so much collaboration. People understood everybody else's business. Everybody um, worked together so well because I think we all were just driving to that that final like place, right? That Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. We wanted to get there so badly. And when it started coming true, we step, kept winning and winning and winning. And speaking of like, superstitions, because it's Friday the Thirteenth, but you know, I would get a new suit for work every time we went to another series or every time there was another home game, I I was like, I have to get buy something new and this is what I'm going to wear. And like, it was just this very interesting, everybody had their superstitions and, and, you know, just that drive for the cup. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I totally forgot today's Friday the 13th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the reminder there. Sure. Um, you know, so, so from there, you know, you spent mm-hmm. quite a while there. You went to one of the world's largest sponsorship practices mm-hmm. in Octagon, spent six years there and then moved to the UFC where you spent another eight years. Um, you know, did you kind of always know that sponsorship was the industry you wanted to be in within sports or did it, or did it just come, come that way? You know, I, when I, when I got into it at the University of Miami, I just, it was an immediate, you know, um, gratification and, and trying to understand not only my own business and what we were trying to do as an organization, but, but the client's business. So, you know, my, my, one of my mentors and and boss, Kim Terranova at the Florida Panthers, she's like, you are, you're responsible for selling a can of beer. You're responsible for selling a Toyota you're responsible for selling a Harley Davidson, a can of Coke, a case of Coke, like, you know, whatever that was, I had to figure out how my assets and what I could control could then transfer into what would drive that person's business. Mm -hmm. So always listening to what their objectives are was for me, like one of the top, top pillars. So understanding how their business worked, like, you know, you can't just do a new Coke can, right? I mean, that takes 18 months to do that, right? Or 12 months to do that or plan that. So it's not, it's not just that quick as as some people may think. Um, Mm -hmm. So planning schedules, looking far out and and far ahead on what they're looking at, car releases, um, you know, uh, now it's, you know, electric vehicles, like what's next coming, you know, how far out are we to do that? And what's that ramp up? So really understanding the the, consu- the other person's business and the client's business, and then leveraging that, well, hey, we're talking to season ticket holders 18 months out. So why are we not talking to them about this new XYZ? So to me, it was just a, a really cool challenge. Um, Yes, I'm an athlete, but I'm I'm more interested in the business of sport than what's going on on the field of play. And that was another, you know, key nugget of information is that if if you are a fan of a sport, it's not recommended that you work in that sport because you'll never be able to watch it. Hmm. Like if you really want to sit on on Sunday and watch football, then don't work for a football team because totally. <laughs> you're going to be yeah. running around backstage. So, you know, it was always in my head, I was like, well, I, I've missed every goal. I've always had to see it on replay because I was never out there, right? We were always either doing something behind stage or entertaining somebody or, or you know, executing a promotion or an activation. So um, I think the business of sport is really what gets me excited about it. Yeah, and, and I really relate to that because I, I worked for a few years on the property side of the business and mm-hmm. um, it's so easy to remember the things about your property, but then you get so immersed in different categories of your partners. And you're right, you you start selling beer, you start selling Toyotas, you start selling the products that are not only what you've created as a team, but also what the extension of your partners are. Mm -hmm. So I I always thought that was so interesting to kind of become this expert in so many different categories. And and it's kind of nice to hear that from you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed the challenge of, of like, finding something so new and that it, maybe it's a new a new product or something else and just introducing it or or using the assets that I have to launch a new product was just really exciting to me so totally yeah. and and so when you were at the UFC you know mm-hmm. the league was experiencing a lot of growth mm-hmm. in the early 2010s um 
you know, where do you think a lot of that success was coming from? And, and you know, how are you um, kind of integrating partners into that growth as well? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'll go, I'll go on the record and say I wasn't an MMA fan, just like we were talking about. Like, I didn't go to the UFC because I was an MMA fan or I didn't practice MMA. Um, but seeing the growth of what Dana and the Fertitas had done was amazing. Um, I actually ended up working for Mike Mossholder at the UFC. He was at the Miami Dolphins when I was at the Panthers. Hmm. So there's a little bit of a Florida contingency out here in Vegas now. Um, but one, I knew that Mike had experienced what I experienced in Florida with the Heisinger group because we were teammates, if you will, but I never worked with him or for him. And then knowing that he was like, no, this is going to be the next big thing. You have to be here for this really uh-huh. encouraged me to make that move. Um, I think that the, um, when I got there in November that year was the year we signed on with Fox. So getting us onto to mainstream Fox was, I think, really, really important and pivotal mm-hmm. um, in exposing um, casual fans to our sport. I think there's a lot of strategy that goes with MMA that people don't realize. And I can understand that if you're walking by a Buffalo Wild Wings or if you're walking by, by a TV anywhere and you're seeing MMA or UFC for the first time, it mm-hmm. does look a little bit brutal and maybe off-putting if, if that's not your thing. But, you know, listening to Joe Rogan, listening to the broadcasters explain what's going on in a very technical way brings it to life and you really see it very differently. Um, so I think that was really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, you know, a great, great hardworking group of people there. Everything that Dana and the Fertitas um, talked about, you know, made a difference and they wanted their uh, energy made you want to work harder. Um, their enthusiasm and passion is unmatched mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And you know what, like as a casual fan myself, like there's an art to it. Right. And Mm -hmm. when I go watch a fight with with a few of my friends, um, I might not see things that they, they see as like, you know, dedicated fans. So it's always interesting to see, you know, how many people got into the sport, even if you weren't a fan before. Mm -hmm. And and when you're working on the business side, how you still appreciate, you know, what's being done behind Mm -hmm. the scenes outside of, you know, all the stuff that you might not have known about before. Yeah, that the time that I came into was also one of Mike Mossholder's um, big shift was was really stepping in and getting, you know, Anheuser Bush on board and mm-hmm. Harley Davidson on board and some of these really, really big brands. I mean, you're not going to see some of the conservative brands um, spend money with the UFC for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but the, those other brands, um, you know, definitely stepped into the octagon and wholeheartedly were like, yeah, we are in it. You know, body armor is another great example, you know, body armor really had to break through from Powerade and Gatorade. And there was no other league that they could own because they were Powerade and and Gatorade were already there. So this really was a fantastic runway for body armor to get on, on the table, um, Mm -hmm. in a big, big way also because it was such a global it's such a global sport um so that's a great example of of one that you know they didn't have anywhere to go other than you know grassroots and um you know amateur sports maybe but all of a sudden this ufc body armor connection really made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like obviously some, some great experiences there. And then those partners coming on board really complemented the UFC and, and kind of the value prop there. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're still in Vegas, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're the global head of partnerships for MGM Resorts International. You know, can you tell us about your role? You know, sure. what do we need to know about MGM Resorts and, and what you do for work? So it's really interesting because you wouldn't think that MGM as a, as a enterprise would take on this sports sponsorship, if you will, model, but that's exactly what it is. So mm. instead of selling a dashboard or an NICE logo or a sign or a, an octagon canvas logo, we're selling integration into our properties, which have millions and millions and millions of eyeballs um, and all of our assets. So whether it's a marquee on the strip, whether it is naming rights of one of our theaters, whether it is a product launch or a stunt or an activation um, with or around like a CES or a SEMA when there's even more people coming to Vegas. You know, I, some days I almost think of ourselves as, as, a, as a much more affordable Times Square. Mm-hmm. So if someone is going to do a takeover or do something in Times Square and that's going to get all this viral um, traction, they could do it on the Brooklyn Bridge at New York, New York in Vegas for minimal mm-hmm. um, and get the same exposure. I mean, we have um, in, in a normal year, we have 47 million plus people coming to this town um, and so many um, international country, you know, international visitors and, and all types of demographics are just, are just kind of flooding our streets. Um, and based on the, the property, our properties and our property personalities, we can super target um, where someone wants to be. So if it's in, you know, um, a higher demographic, they want to be a Bellagio area. Um, and if it's something more fun and outgoing, maybe it is, you know, New York, New York or MGM Grand. Um, mm-hmm. So we have <clears throat> tons of opportunities and, and the custom customization that we can do for a brand or a partner is is unmatched. So to me, coming from from UFC, where what I was selling was very specific, and to be honest, I was actually activating there and not selling. Mm-hmm. But coming here and knowing that we have this like plethora of opportunities is, is is was really attractive to me. And and before you came into this role, were was the team looking at the properties in this in this lens? Like, were they thinking about monetization and working with partners? Or is that something that's a little bit newer in terms of the last few years? So they were they were looking at that and they had done it for some years. Um, MGM also owns the Las Vegas WNBA team, the Las Vegas Aces. Mm-hmm. So they were already doing that because our, our team was actually a shared service, is a shared service for the WNBA team. So we're actually selling sponsorships for the WNBA Las Vegas Aces. So mm-hmm. it was almost like an extension to that as well. Um, and then I report into Lance Evans. And so he's actually doing a lot of the spending and building the MGM brand outwardly, whether it's PGA players and brand endorsements to, you know, teams and properties and leagues, um, which we have all of them except the NFL that um, he's, I think, you know, his innovation was like, Hey, why are we not doing this on our own properties? We can do this. You know, mm-hmm. we have customers, we have eyeballs, we have, really creative high-end ways to integrate high-end brands, right? That all want to drive their business. So um, I thought it was a great novel idea, but it, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. 
Um, you know, from from your standpoint, a lot of your colleagues, like you're you're working on the revenue generation side, but then mm-hmm. there's also colleagues um, at at MGM and then Bet MGM as well mm-hmm. um, that are really involved in building out those relationships, like you said, with the NBA, NASCAR, um, mm-hmm. the Tennessee Titans, the Broncos, like all these different sports teams and properties. So, does any of that work ever cross over into your realm? with the work that you're doing on the properties you own with MGM? Um, sometimes it does. I know that um, we that team works really hard. And obviously with the pandemic, sports betting is going up and up and up. And every, every weekend we're seeing a better weekend. Um, we're actually the third largest entertainment company in the world. So we sell 10 million tickets a year to all of our entertainment. So it's taking that model and, and, and bringing them back to either bet on property or bet on our, you know, on your, um, on your phone or on our app. Um, so there are some synergies. We, you know, we talk about how we can help each other. Um, but more, it, it's more about getting those fans with those properties betting on bet MGM and making sure that as their cities and their states regulations clear for sports betting, that BetMGM is first and foremost, the first person somebody thinks about. So, and when people are coming here, mm-hmm. you know, we own the majority of the strip. So people may not know that Mirage or Excalibur or New York, New York is ours, but it is. So there's this nice thread that we can pull through. And then we can also talk about BetMGM at all of our sports books. So it's that consistent message that they may see throughout all of our sports books. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you brought up the pandemic there. So I, I would love mm-hmm. to just quickly touch upon that. So, you know, sports betting is, is obviously increased in usage, but at the same time, it's kind of hurt tourism and, and the sports industry mm-hmm. in general. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious on to, you know, from the sponsorship side with all of that in the background, you know, what have you learned throughout this process in regards to adaptability, resilience, like, is there anything you personally learned about um, yourself throughout this? Um, what I've learned is that there are, there, even though the, the pandemic is going on and the industry is, is drastically hurt, staff is down, people are getting laid off and furloughed and jobs are, are kind of peeling away, that there are still brands that need to market and be a part of, of the fabric of, of MGM, right? I mean, we have a lot of div- digital ventures uh, and opportunities going on. You know, our conservatory, for example, the Bellagio, even though it's not 20,000 people a month, people are still coming to see the conservatory. It's still mm-hmm. beautiful. It still has that, you know, that wow uh, impact on somebody. And so, People still want to get out. People still want to do things. We still have eyeballs. Um, mm-hmm. We're still selling beer and wine and, and drinks and cocktails. Um, and we're just trying to do it in the safest way possible. Um, it's nice to know that our company um, sp- spares no expense in safety and health. And that is priority one, um, what we've had to do. Um, but there's definitely brands out there that are interested. They're looking at 2021. We have a lot of deals actually in the hopper right now trying to sign and finalize as we go into 21. So when we turn that corner, we're ready to go and, and we're, you know, we're off and running. So we're doing a lot of planning, a lot of strategic thinking and pivoting and, 
and kind of it's the waiting game that everybody's playing, right? Is when are fans going to come back? When are events going to come back? Um, mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, we actually launched six of our shows um, socially distanced. Um, and so that was a really big thing for us. So live entertainment is back and we have a handful of shows that we're welcoming people back safely to. And, and I think that's a big thing for all of us, right? Like it just to, mm-hmm. to kind of have that back in our lives is, is, um, is, is important. I mean, obviously yeah. through safety as the number one concern, but I, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, as you think about 2021, like, are there, are there areas, categories, anything that you're looking into or watching as you're, you're heading into that year, as you think about the events coming back? Um, Yes, uh, our pipeline continues to be full. (laughs) Uh, There are a lot of brands that are spending with teams, properties and leagues, um, as you guys report on all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we we have a lot of them in our crosshairs right now. I mean, if you can understand or not understand it, if you can grasp what a big customer we are of somebody. Mm -hmm. So we are working very closely with our sourcing and procurement team. So if we are buying pens, Sharpie, then Sharpie should be doing something with us. So why is Sharpie not our partner for meet and greets or casino events or whatever? So um, we're working really closely with with those groups internally. Um, You want to do business with people who do business with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the brands that we buy and serve and sell and market are brands that should be wanting, should want to talk to our customers. So really working closely with food and beverage sourcing and a lot of, the of, and our consumer electronic, our technology teams, the Samsungs of the world, we're buying TVs and, you know, speakers for in-room and, and a lot of things like that. So we're, we're working closely with a lot of those brands to be like, well, if you have your XYZ alarm clock in our room, then why can we not turn that into something bigger um, and do something where that brand is going to be seen again and again and again, and someone's touching and feeling your product. So they know the value of that. Um, Oh, that was a really nice alarm clock or, that connected mm-hmm. to my Bluetooth, like, just like that, you know, and, and maybe when they go home, that's what they're going to want to buy or invest in. So. Yeah, totally. I mean, if, if you're, if you're looking at it, especially from a procurement lens, like there's, there's no reason that you shouldn't be looking at those categories mm-hmm. that you're spending money with to, mm-hmm. to kind of work with them in greater regards from a marketing lens. And we mm-hmm. used to do this all the time when I was on the property side with the Pan Am games, mm-hmm. um, we would kind of go through the list of, you know, what, what are we procuring? How can we work with those brands and, and kind of make it more beneficial for all of us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm cu- So you, you talked about events coming back next year. Mm-hmm. I know the NFL draft was, was supposed to happen this year at the Bellagio, got moved to a virtual setting, um, you know, part of it at Roger Goodell's house. But, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was something that a lot of people were excited about because it was the first time, you know, that they were going to have such a grand place uh, mm-hmm. where the draft was held. So, you know, is there anything you're looking forward to as, you know, hopefully the NFL draft um, as planned comes back in 2022 to Vegas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that we can plug and play what we had in place before. It was uh, a really exciting plan on the Bellagio fountains with a red carpet and, and lots of fanfare. So I do truly hope that that um, that's an easy reset 
um, for 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously having fans come back and watch that live would be, would be great. Yeah. I think we're all looking forward to that, to be yes. honest. Um, okay. So I usually with these, with these podcast episodes, mm-hmm. we try to end it off with, you know, some career advice, but then also sure. some industry feedback. So I'd love to first get your thought on, um, you know, as you look back on your career, um, with multiple properties like the Panthers and the UFC, you know, with Octagon as an agency, and then now with one of the leading entertainment brands in sponsorship and, and in marketing, mm-hmm. you know, what's one thing in sponsorship that you think properties or the industry in general might, might need to do a better job of? Um, gosh, I kind of always go back to collaboration and trying to understand um, <clears throat> everybody else's, you don't have to know everybody else's business, but you have to understand their business. And I think that's what um, has been easier in smaller groups than it has been, say, at, at MGM or even Octagon is a really big company, as you can imagine. Um, everybody has their marching orders, right? Everyone has their swim lane. Everyone knows what their tasks are, how they're going to either generate revenue or, um, or, get whatever their uh, goal is to the next level. And so I think everybody just has to be, and and I don't want to say nicer, but like everybody has to like appreciate everyone else's business a little bit. Um, You know, it's something that I've really tried hard to do, especially in this hotel and casino business that I never really touched on the inside. Right. Like I don't know what it takes to, you know, staff up hotel rooms and, and do housekeeping or, or, you know, mixed drinks and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of expect, you know, plan to expect X amount of people for New Year's Eve or, or not. Right. So it's really interesting to me. I'm, I'm learning a lot uh, about the casino and hotel industry. Um, and I think our, our team coming in is, is a little bit different. It's, it's kind of, why would we do that? We are MGM. Why would we need another brand to help us market? Right. I'm like, well, if we collaborate and your two brands are doing something, then now you're talking to the other followers, right? The other fans of that brand. So um, similar to what like Peloton and Beyonce did, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was phenomenal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you could have picked two bigger brands and now they're reaching that many more people um, mm-hmm. that may or may not have had a chance to to touch and feel that product or to hear that music. So um I just think some of that collaboration and really valuing not only what you're doing and then, but what your counterparts are doing and how can I help them and how can my business drive their business and then vice versa. So that's kind of my, my, probably my biggest takeaway lately. Yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> it, it's very aligned to like a few things I've noticed about this year. Like when you're working in a cross-functional environment, like a lot of us are, um, mm-hmm. you might not have noticed the types of work that people were doing before. Mm-hmm. and how that's been impacted um, by the environment we're in. Sure. So kind of bringing back that collaboration, the empathy, and just kind of, you know, I, I think it's something that I've taken away as well. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it um, because I think it's a lesson for a lot of us in the industry mm-hmm. is to just be a little bit more considerate and figure out ways that we can all grow together um, no matter what the role is. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yeah. Agree. 
And and one thing I didn't touch upon uh, yet, and I, I I would be it'd be a miss on my part to not bring this up, but you know you're you're one of the leads of uh, you know women in sports and entertainment mm-hmm. in the Wise Chapter for Las Vegas. So you know I'd I'd love to talk to you about your involvement there, why it's a priority for you, but at the same time, you know for for any young women out there that are that are listening in, like you know what's some feedback from your career that you, you might want to leave them with. Sure. Um, well, so Wise, I was a member at, for Wise, at Wise in Atlanta. And so when I moved to Las Vegas, there was no chapter here. And one of my counterparts, uh, Tracy Blazinski, who was a member in the New York chapter, also came and was like, why do we not have a Wise chapter here? And so the two of us worked together um, to get the UFC to uh, be our founding partner here in Vegas. So we're three years old. We were the 17th chapter. I think we're now up to 27 chapters, mm-hmm. one in Toronto. Um, so Glad we're international, hear. if you will. Um, yeah. So a great team there. And we're actually going through a new rebrand, but um, the website is wiseworks.org. You'll be seeing a, a great new uh, brand refresh and, and look and feel to everything that we're doing. So that's great. We have a really strong chapter here for being only three years old. So that's refreshing, as you can imagine, being the entertainment capital of the world. Now we have all these sports teams. Um, we have all these casinos and, and venues and stadiums and arenas that um, make it just kind of uh, a natural fit. So um, the biggest thing I can say um, about the career journey and, and, and being part of WISE is that there will be people that will, will always lift you up and want to bring you along. Um, and, and we want to pave that path for not only, you know, college athletes that are coming into the work world, but all women and, and, um, and anyone that wants to just break into this industry, because it's, it's not easy to get in, um, which leads me to my advice is that you, you really need to show up and do the work. Um, it's even a little bit harder now because a lot of things are, you know, virtual and working from home and there's a lot more flexibility, which is really great. But those fundamental um, pillars have to be, you know, you have to be willing to look at your phone when you roll out of bed. You have to be willing to look at it right before you go to bed, just in case there's a last minute request, just in case your boss asked you to do something. So having just getting in that, um, that pattern of, not um, uh, of not just living and living to work, but know that that's really important to everyone around you. Um, that you're part of a team, and that's truly you know kind of what work is, right? You're part of a team, and so as an athlete, you really really get that. Um, and if you're not an athlete, you know it's something you probably have to learn a little bit. But everyone's depending on you. Like you, you you're part of that team to get everybody to that next spot. Love it. I mean, Brett, this has been an awesome conversation. Awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that you were a part of it. And, and you know, best of luck, uh, you know, as everyone starts to come back to, to normalcy with the pandemic, but then mm-hmm. also to, I'm excited to see all the great things that you're doing over in Vegas with both WISE and with MGM. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Take care. Thank Brett. you. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.